We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, another Nets win tonight. Tonight, it was over the Houston Rockets. James Harden was injured in this one, but the Nets still got the W, 120-108. How are we feeling, Mr. Manuel? Number one in the East. Finally. It's felt like the Nets have been on the cusp of having the one seed for like a month now, and they finally got it. And it's funny enough, Joel Embiid's supposed to be back for Philadelphia very soon and possibly their next game. But, Jack, before we jump into that, as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But where do you want to start with this one? Nick, let's go right to the beginning because the Nets were crap to start this game, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, this was probably – I mean, I thought maybe saying this was their worst quarter of the season. But then I have to go back to probably one of those Washington games where they had a terrible fourth quarter. But still, this is probably their worst first quarter of the season, allowing the Houston Rockets to score 42 points and shoot over 78% from the field and 78% from three. Obviously, some of that is an outlier, but a lot of that was just terrible effort, terrible spacing. Give Houston some credit with playing the zone against a Bruce Brown, DeAndre Jordan lineup, which already has spacing issues, and the zone kind of amplifies that. So credit some to the Rockets, but the effort level from the Nets to start this game was just pretty pitiful. Should Steve Nash have made the move and sort of gotten either Bruce Brown out of there for a Jeff Green or something, or even subbed out DeAndre for Clax and or Blake and or um, Jeff Green himself as well at the five? Yeah, I definitely think so. The fact that Bruce Brown and DeAndre are on the floor together and it hasn't worked for a substantial amount of time and it's led to a lot of these bad starts, it's something that Steve Nash needs to click, uh, pick up a little bit sooner than later. Uh, definitely. And look, it's something that we've been advocating for every single time I've been on this podcast, be yeah. it me or, or a guest co-host. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and whether it is now 
You told me, Nick, is it more likely... Now, we obviously, there's rumblings that Kevin Durant could be on his way back in the next seven to ten days. It's just some inklings that I have. And also, we LaMarcus Aldridge could be back in a couple of games too. Do you think it's more likely that we see DJ lose his starting spot or Bruce or both of them? Yeah, I mean, when Kevin Durant is back, I think there's a good chance maybe both guys will lose that spot. Um, when just LaMarcus is ready, I think there's going to be an opportunity for LaMarcus to take that spot. Steve Nash has mentioned that. We've had the report from Shams. So I think the writing's kind of on the wall for DeAndre Jordan. And even in that report, Shams kind of mentioned like the Nets transitioning possibly away from DeAndre Jordan. And not to be disrespectful or talk bad about a player, but he's just not playing at a high enough level. And he's... Yeah, exactly. And, and Steve Nash did put out a quote, and I, I think it was Matt Brooks or Alex Schiffer, someone put out the, the lengthy quote about, you know, the, the amount of sacrifice that's going to need to be made from from DJ and other players for us to achieve yep. our, our ultimate goal in, in, in winning that chip at the end of the day. And and DJ, uh, he's just not doing enough, Nick. Yep. And, you know, to win a championship, we need to have high-level leadership on and off the floor. And while I don't discount that DJ is maybe one of the best teammates and leaders off the floor, what he's doing on the floor just isn't good enough. And it isn't up to a standard of one of the best teams in the league, which the Brooklyn Nets are. And to have that glaring of a weakness and an important position uh, when you're going up against Beirut, the Bucks beat the Sixers or the Heat or whoever else it might be uh, that's in that postseason, the Nets are going to get exploited, Nick. And they got exploited by one of the worst teams in the league tonight. And like you alluded to, you know, DJ's performance, minus 16, two points, one rebound in 12 minutes. Um, You you mentioned this to me off wax. Was it his worst game of the season? I mean, I think it's in consideration. I think also, you know, only playing 12 minutes in this one, it just wasn't good. Effort level was pretty terrible. Didn't get out a lot of three-point shooters. Give it, you know, Houston has some bad three-point shooters, but you should at least contest the ball. And right now it's really, you know, DeAndre Jordan isn't necessarily doing anything well on the floor. You know what I mean? He's maybe catching lobs at a decent rate. But other than that, like, I'm not sure what I can sit here and tell you, Jack. Like, yeah, DeAndre's been great at this for the last month because, you know, for a little bit, maybe the rebounding was good. But one rebound in 12 minutes is as bad as it can really get. It's it's pretty awful, Nick. You know, and, and we aren't. I've sort of said before this about about DeAndre Jordan that I do think that he can give us spurts in the postseason against certain matchups, but he does need to have some sort of you know. And Steve Nash, I sort of expected, I know you did too, when we were chatting in the DMs that we're like, okay, this is probably you know the. The, the rev up that he needs to go, okay, I'm going to step up here yep. and sort of go, okay, now is my time to shine. It was sort of, it reminded me of sort of seeing that quote was like the, the New York Knicks came after Jared Allen's departure. And then we saw DeAndre Jordan play one of his best games as a Brooklyn net, but tonight just wasn't the night for him. And, you know, Christian Wood and, and some of these other guys in the front court, you know, they just bullied him in, in many ways. And I don't know what it's going to be, Nick, but it's good to have those reinforcements. And, you know, to get those reports from Shams about the fact that the Nets are transitioning away from DeAndre Jordan at the five. And, you know, you've got Blake Griffin there too. You've got Jeff Green there too. Uh, there's a lot of options. And, and LMA obviously coming in. He's going to give us something at that position. Don't necessarily think that the Nets are going to be strong defensively with him there. But that's a discussion for another day, as you sort of alluded to with Will Jackson on the last pod. But At least uh, LeMarcus still have like a little bit of a plus offensively, right, Jack? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it gives you some sort of strength uh, yep. in, in terms of, yeah, he might get attacked defensively, but I do just like the versatility that the Nets do now have. Obviously, Nicholas Claxton is probably quite clearly our best center. He's an OG, as he said himself <laughs> when he was talking to reporters tonight. Love the swagger levels of Clax City. They're just growing by the day by day. And then Blake Griffin as well. I love their tandem in that front court. Yep. There's a lot of fun. You know, what do we call it? Grifton? Yeah, I want to call it Grifton. Grifton City is the capital of Clack City. Uh, it is just absolutely awesome watching them play tonight. But it just having different looks. You know, each of these guys provides an individual skill set and talents that brings something to the table. And like, you know, whether it's LaMarcus Aldridge's pick and pop game, whether it's Blake Griffin, you know, his ability to pass like a goddamn madman. You know, he's seen that three ball quite well. He's running well in transition. And he is communicating well on defense. He seems to have a desire and a motivation to lead the team there, which is, you know, much can be said for, for some of the other guys on the Taking squad. Taking charges, too. Taking charges. You know, Jeff Green's taking charges as well. Blake Griffith's always been great at taking charges. And Matt Brooks uh, put out that, you know, he'd be leading the team uh, in charges taken this season, despite the fact that Griffin has missed a heap of games. And Nicholas Claxton, we know what he does on both ends of the floor. We've raved about him. Uh, and we will continue to rave about him on, on today's podcast as well. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, Nick, because I do think that while it's sort of strength that the Nets do have, the versatility in itself is somewhat of a strength. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of different matchups you can throw out teams. You know what I mean? You have the elite defensive player in Nicholas Claxton. You have the small ball versatility with a Jeff Green. And like you mentioned, with a Blake Griffin, you have a little playmaking, three-point shooting. And a guy who's willing to make some hustle plays, plays tough down there, is willing to throw out a ton of fouls. We saw in the previous game, four fouls in six minutes. And then you got LaMarcus. And really, we don't necessarily know what LaMarcus is going to bring to the Nets because you know, Blake Griffin has looked so recharged. Part of me feels optimistic that maybe LaMarcus will feel look a little bit recharged and have a little extra boost to him. I'm not expecting him to be all-star LaMarcus or some lockdown defender, but I think he could play better than what we saw in San Antonio earlier this year. Yeah, I know you and Will dive deep into it and you did a really great job of analyzing the signing. And I, I, I look, on whether it's Andre Drummond, LaMarcus, or just whatever, the, the Nets and the Lakers are lucky to have just that extra body yep. to sort of fill in some you know rotation minutes, be it in the regular season or in the postseason. The one thing that I am going to be looking for, and it was probably the same thing with Blake, and I've been pleasantly surprised about, is that defense. Yep. LaMarcus Aldridge's play in San Antonio has been an abject negative, one of the most negative players for them. And obviously, Jakob Pertl has been an incredible defender, but you know his offensive game leaves a lot to be desired as well. And he has been playing in like a deep, deep, deep drop coverage yep. as well. How is he going to fit in a, in a switching sort of scheme? We've seen Blake do okay. He hasn't necessarily been caught out a, a, a heap of time, but he, he certainly, it's, he's not Nicholas Claxton, but then again, no one is, as we've sort of uh, discussed on previous pods. You know, can he get to the line of scrimmage? Can he get to, to the screens? Can he hedge? Uh, can he double? Can he blitz? Can he do all these little things? Can he get back? What is his mobility like? I know he's going to give us something on the offensive end, uh, but I'm just really intrigued to see how he fits defensively because at center, it's the most important defensive position on the basketball court. Yeah, and I mentioned this to Will in the last show. I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him kind of being in almost a DeAndre Jordan role where he starts the first quarter and third quarter and then you know, uh, Steve Nash goes with that Jeff Green, Blake Griff Griffin, and Nick Claxton combo and now you have to add in Kevin Durant when he's back too. So, I mean, there's going to be different options and the rotation is going to be something to keep an eye on. And like Steve Nash said, a lot of guys are going to have to make a sacrifice and the one guy who definitely doesn't have to give up anything, it feels like, is going to be Nick Claxton, who's just been playing super well. And Steve Nash even said after the game that he's the Nets' best defender. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I thought I saw that quote from Nick Fay. I, I, <laughs> I guess I, I'm getting my you know, my American, my, my talented and intelligent North American men uh, confused. But it, look, it, it's it's a fact, Nick. You know, obviously yeah. we we spoke. I remember with Nolan Jensen the preseason. He was really high on on Kevin Durant and what he did show us before that injury that he was so goddamn important. His ability to switch. I mean, we've got to give some love. Jeff Green, who's been awesome. Yep. Now, Bruce Brown's been pretty goddamn solid as well. But Nicholas Claxton's special. Like, he yep. he's a, he has defensive player of the year, all defensive level talent, and, and it, for so many different reasons. And I think a lot of that is just also his confidence to play defense, his desire yep. to play defense. A lot of guys are just out there to, you know, a, a lot of other guys, whether it's DeAndre Jordan or, or other guys who've probably played along John, James Harden in the previous past, it's just like, just give me the lobs. I don't necessarily need to do these other things. If James Harden's not going to play high-level defense, then why do I need to? But Yes. Nicholas Claxton has a desire, has a has a swagger, has an arrogance about him that it's just like, I don't care who you are. If you're Damian Lillard, if you're Luka Doncic, I'm taking on you, and I, and I want to be isolated on you. I want to prove to myself, I want to prove to this league that you know it, it, it just seems to me that he continues to just always make an impact, no matter what. He yep. have to be another another awesome performance from him tonight, as you alluded to, Nick, six or seven from the field, twelve points, eight boards, including four of them offensive, had a dime, had a steal, had a block, and he was a big part of that comeback if not one of the key reasons obviously with Kyrie Irving he was goddamn incredible himself as well but Nicholas Claxton Nick whenever he's on the floor things happen yeah I mean we're talking about a guy and I know our guy Matt Brooks has brought this up and we've kind of touched on a little bit in the past like there's a chance Nick Claxton is defensive player of the year not obviously this season but moving forward down the line because you're seeing his defensive impact on the floor not only with his switchability but he's improving as a weak side rim protector and also just that length is causing problems it's shrinking the floor and I'd be really intrigued to see what Blake Griffin's defensive rating looks like when he's next to Nick Claxton versus when he's next to Jeff Green because it feels like Claxton is having that effect defensively where he's making his teammates better because he's almost a, a black hole for the other team. Yeah, I mean, did you see that insane stat that the ringer came out with? Whenever yep. Nicholas Claxton's on the floor, 100.5 is the defensive rating that the Brooklyn Nets have, which is otherworldly insane. And for a team that's as poor defensively in a lot of respects, you know, 27th or something like that in the league right now, when you have Nicholas Claxton out there for 20, 25 minutes to be that dominant... Uh, it's incredible how the impact that he does have that one player can have, let alone a dude who's played like 25 games in his career. Yeah, I mean, it's really great. It's a great tool for the Nets. It's a, a, really a game changer. I mean, like, we anticipated Nick Claxton being a, a solid rotation piece at some point, but I never anticipated his defense being at this level at this point in time. The tools were always there, but like you said, it's the mental stuff. It's the confidence. It's just like, hey, I'm going to defend this guy, and I'm not letting him score a bucket. And it's funny is because you've seen Nick Claxton kind of get upset sometimes when he gives up a bucket because that's how much it means to him to shut people down. But I want to talk a little bit about his offense tonight, Jack, because I thought his chemistry with Kyrie Irving in that fourth quarter was great, and they connected on a couple different plays from oops to drop-offs, whatever it was, he's starting to develop a little confidence with Kyrie. And, and that's saying something because a lot of the chemistry that he has been building has been with James Harden. And yep. to now build it with the, the team's other superstar, and obviously with James Harden's injury, which we'll touch on in a little bit, uh, it's saying something that 
just the the innate feel that this kid has yeah. to be able to just know. And I know I'm, it just reminds me of, of back in the day when Jared Allen first playing with Kyrie Irving. And it's a similar mentality that I think both of these guys have. It's just like, I need to make these guys better. I need to be yeah. able to, in spots where they can do their thing offensively, and I'll just do whatever needs to be done in terms of setting them right screens, getting them into open spaces, finding the lobs, being the dunker spot, uh, show my athleticism, and just make the game easier for the superstars. And that's what Claxton's doing while yeah. also having his individual impact. Yeah, I mean, when he's having this level of offensive impact, and obviously we know what he's doing defensively, and you mentioned the rebounding too, I think as an offensive rebounder, he's had some really nice spurts just being super active and athletic down there. I mean, there's no reason for him not to play 25 minutes, as good as some of the other players are, or or the reputation or the stardom that they had in the past. Like, he's just that type of impact player when the offense is going too. Obviously, he had the rough game against the Timberwolves, but tonight, he was an offensive plus. Look, Nick, the, the Perth 36 numbers are what stick out to me. He is uh, he is a goddamn menace when you look at these numbers. It's sort of like Giannis in, in seasons past. Let me quickly find 16.1 points. Uh, oh, come on, B-ball ref. Stop scrolling up and scrolling down on me. Uh, 16.1 points. And what else have we got there? We got uh, one turnover, 2.9 blocks, 8.5 rebounds, including 2.4 offensive boards, uh, and 60%, uh, 61% from the field. Uh, it's something that just is, is hard to comprehend, Nick. And yeah. obviously, per 36 numbers are. It uh, 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 can be a little bit askew, but because Claxton's playing such limited minutes for the Brooklyn Nets, it's just. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. These are what the superstars do play. You know, your Kyrie Irving, your James Harden, they play 36 minutes plus. And maybe we do see that that one point this season, Nicholas Claxton getting to that point is something that I think all everyone is salivating and, and really motivated to hopefully happen at some point in time. But to have 2.9 blocks per 36 minutes, that's really go bear shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested when Claxton and Kevin Durant are going to take the floor together. You know, all that <laughs> length and all that defense, it's really going to be something. And I mean, you know, you look at a potential closing lineup of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Nick Claxton, and you're playing your two best defenders while still maintaining, you know, the highest level of offense you possibly could maybe have on this team. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. 
because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. And then you've still got Jeff Green waiting in reserve, who I think is the team's second best defender and probably the best role player that we have. Maybe, look, I'm not, maybe I'm not going to slap my boy Joey Buckley. Yeah, there, Joe but just to, scored 28 tonight. Chill with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the, the, the ninth time this season, I was doing a little bit of research uh, off work, the ninth time this season that he's had 20-plus points uh, for the Brooklyn Nets, so including uh, the second time where he's had 28 or more, uh, and he had a 30-ball this season too. So, look, Joe Harris was incredible. And, I, I look, I also think, Nick, that you, if you have that front court, from small forward to center, Jeff Green, Kevin Durant, Nicholas Claxton, try getting past that. Yep. Yeah, no, that's a really good point too, obviously. And then you could still have Kyrie and James Harden out there and no Joe Harris, depending on what you need to do. I think, you know, the decision would come down, do you want Jeff Green's versatile defense or do you want Joe Harris's elite three-point shooting? It's a, it's a good luxury to have. Hopefully all yeah. these guys continue to stay healthy, continue to stay productive, Nick. But all right, I think most people are probably wondering when the hell we're going to speak about Kyrie Andrew Irving, the goddamn master that, he's, that, he, that he goddamn is. Nick, 31 points for Kyrie, 12 assists, which is also the most assists that he's had this season, a tight season high, and the third time um, that he's had a 10-plus assist this season too. Uh, also had six boards, including two offensive boards, had a steal as well, 3 of 8 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 12 of 25 from the field. Kyrie Irving, Nick, uh, he's playing all NBA-level basketball. Yeah, I think this might have been his best game of the season, Jack, from an all-around perspective, not just, you know, we've seen him score more points, shoot better efficiency, but he really led the team. You know, he was the superstar in James Harden's absence, and he was the MVP tonight on this team with the 12 assists, a lot of great dimes, and he just kind of had a lot of big momentum plays that helped the Nets take this comeback over the Houston Rockets. And defensively, he had some nice plays out there too, some hustle plays, forcing, you know, steals, Mm -hmm. rebounds, whatever it was. Really, really happy with the performance Kyrie Irving had tonight. I mean, I don't think he could have played much better than maybe making a couple more shots. And look, 12 to 25 from the field, just under a shy under 50% is efficient for everyone else. But Kai, come on, man. You want that 50, 40, 90 season <laughs> on the incredible, uh, incredible inflated numbers that he is putting out. I saw a couple of tweets and, and, and listened to a couple of podcasts, Nick. Lucas Kaplan is one of them on Nets Republic, sort of talking about his defense and how he has been engaged. And as an undersized defender, when Kyrie's locked in, he is, you know, a plus on that end of the floor. And, you know, obviously him providing that for 39 minutes isn't necessarily going to happen when he has the burden that he did have tonight but you know I, I think that's an area that he does deserve a lot of love for and also my guy Zach Lonick mean uh mean mean the <laughs> professor himself professor Zach liking the tweet that I put out of him raving about how incredible Kyrie Irving has been for this team and it's almost gone underrated and under the wayside if you're not watching the book on Nets on a night-by-night basis basically uh check it out the J-Man JBT there's a, a bit of a 90 second clip of of Zach just waxing poetic about how incredible Kyrie Irving has been this season Yeah, and like you said, defensively, Jack, I think he does a great job applying on-ball pressure, specifically to non-dominant ball handlers. Like, he really knows how to make them uncomfortable, and that's what he can do. You know what I mean? Because he is undersized. He's going to have issues at points. As long as he's engaged, though, and he's putting in a ton of effort on that side of the floor, I think the Nets can live with that. Yeah, and I think if you have Nicholas Claxton backing him up, yep. it's a lot better than have DeAndre Jordan backing him up because 
as we said at the early points of this season when Kyrie Irving wasn't necessarily uh, producing at that level and DeAndre Jordan, who still isn't producing at that level, that that was a real weak point for the Nets and something you could really attack. And funnily enough, 12 months ago, we were talking about the start of last season and we heard quotes from insider sources talking about, you know what, we're just going to put Kyrie Irving in pick and rolls, guys. And this is what opposing scouts were alluding to. And now, while yes, it's probably still either Kyrie Irving or James Harden, when you have the backup and weak side help of a Jeff Green or, or Nicholas Claxton and, and any of those sort of dudes, uh, even Blake Griffin, who has been helping a little bit more defensively too, it certainly gives you a bit more confidence. Yeah, and I mean, now you run a pick and roll against Kyrie and Nick Claxton, it doesn't really matter because the action is limited because now Claxton just switching and now you're possibly not getting that advantage unless it's, you know, a quick, a, a quick little one sometimes and maybe you catch him off guard. But I really like the potential now, like you said, with Claxton being in there in a lot of different closing lineups depending on the matchup. Oh man, it's 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 hard to. It, I just it still bewilders me how well the Brooklyn Nets are playing there. Like it, without you know, you look at all so many other teams and the the wealth of of talent that is in this league right now. You know, the, the Sixers are, I think are doing really admirably in the absence of their best player. I think they've been playing really well, but the Nets have been dominating without their best player. It's just it almost boggles just normal logic. I don't. I, I just had to bring it up. No, it is incredible. I think, Jack, the Nets are 19-3 and three in their last 22 yeah. games. I think that sounds about right. So it's in, in the month of uh, March, I think what they said on Yes Network, the Nets are 11-2 and two and set the record for Nets history, the best month they've ever had or tied it or something along those lines. So, And, you know, you mentioned Philly doesn't have their best player. The Nets don't have their best player. And they're also missing a, a quality role player in Landry Shamit, too. Definitely. The the injury bug hasn't been necessarily stopped the, the Brooklyn Nets from you know performing at a level that's been goddamn incredible. And speaking of goddamn incredible in ways more than one, Joey Buckets, Nick. Yeah, Joe, Joe Harris. Joey Buckets. <laughs> Calm down over there in Australia, Jack. But uh, 28 points, 10 to 17 from the field, 7 to 12 from three, six oh. rebounds. I thought, you know, in the first half, he had some issues with foul trouble. He struggled a little bit. But in that second half, he really got glowing. It was a big part of that run in the fourth quarter, specifically when Kyrie Irving was on the bench for the first two or three minutes of the fourth quarter. They ran a lot of stuff for Joe, and he came up big. I think he scored, you know, five to seven points in that span. And there was a couple nice defensive possessions he had in this game, too. So really nice game from Joe Harrison. He was in kind of a slight shooting slump maybe over the last couple games. And even to start this game, going 7-12 will probably wash that away. Yeah, uh, a part of it is, I think, Nick, was probably, you know, heavy legs. Yep. I, I think he mentioned that he's been a little bit tired. And I also do think that he hasn't been getting a lot of sets from there. And maybe part of the reason, you know, losing James Harden opens up the offense a little more for Joe Harris because he is, you know, outside of Kyrie Irving. You know, it's Blake Griffin and him that, that are guys that can create their own shot the out of any of the other guys on the floor. So I think that him stepping up in the absence of James Harden shows the the level of confidence. And he's been he's been inc- like absolutely remarkable this season for the Brooklyn Nets, Nick. You know, as I alluded to, you know, nine times with 20 points or more. Um, it, it's just something where we almost expect it. And he, I think maybe in one of the last pods that I recorded with you, you know, was one of his poorer games of the season. And he just bounces back uh, with, with some performances like this, you know, plus 16 on the night as well. And like you alluded to, 7 of 12 from three. 
He doesn't have to have those shots, but when he does have them, he's going to take them and he's going to just let it goddamn rain from there. Good to see that he hit, uh, hit the free throw that he did take as well. But in, in saying that, in, if we do see an absence of James Harden, and obviously Landry Shamit is out as well, our second best sharpshooter, you know, give Joe Harris 10 shots from the three-point line because he's going to just make let it rain. He has confidence now. Ever since Kevin Rand in the first or second game this season said, shoot it, he's been shooting it, Nick. Yeah, and I think specifically against some of these lesser teams, this is a great opportunity to utilize Joe Harris a little bit more. You know, take some of maybe the workload off of James Harden and a Kyrie Irving because they're just not going to play great defense, especially a team like the Rockets. Even in the next matchup against the Hornets, I don't think they're necessarily locking people down. So another opportunity for Joe, like you said, to kind of light it up, get those three-point attempts up, and just kind of keep him involved a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And look, there's just so many good things he's been doing this season. Uh, and it just seems to me that... I don't know, there's a confidence level from like Kyrie and KD and, and James Harden in, in him. Like they know they want to get shots for him. They yeah. they feel confident whenever he's on the floor. You know, it, it obviously, you, who wouldn't be confident having the best goddamn three-point shooter in the league uh, on your team, on your backside, you know, guys to kick it out to. It, it's a, a huge reason why Kyrie Irving, you know, tidy season high and 12 assists because Joe Harris was just having to be waiting out there on the perimeter. And uh, there were times we had open shots and I'm just like... Houston are normally a decent defensive team this season, probably one of their strong points, but don't read the scouting report on Joe Harris because uh, I think that's the number one point. Don't leave Joe Harris open. Yeah, no, I mean, I think also just a young team, a lot of different guys in and out of the lineup, you're going to make those type of mental mistakes, and that's Nets need to capitalize on that, especially in a game where they didn't play well for the first half. You know what I mean? They had to make a comeback in this game, and they did it you know, starting in the third quarter and really pushing that fourth quarter. And like I said, Joe Harris was a big part of that, really the lineup of, I think, what I said to you, Jack, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, Blake and Griffin. Nick Claxton. Yeah, that was the one that really pushed it over the edge. And that's a lineup I wanted to see tonight because I thought those guys all played pretty well. Maybe Bruce Brown who didn't have his best game, but he was a nice fit in that lineup. Yeah, I, I like his fit next to Klax or Griffin. I just yep. hate it next to DeAndre Jordan. Yep. It's as simple as that. Basically, the only center on the roster right now that isn't impacting effectively with one of our best role players is DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, put Bruce Brown to the bench and, and, and put him and Jeff Green. You know, simple as that. Obviously, yep. Landry Shamit is hopefully going to be back sooner rather than later as well. Just experiment a little bit with it, Steve, because the way the Nets have been starting game after game after game after game after game after game after game, you know, something's going to change. You know, repeating, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. But you know, the, thankfully the Nets did bounce back with a big second half, and it's sixty-three to forty. Yeah, you love to see it, and that's what good teams do. Hey, we played like trash in the first half. We're going to have a nice little halftime speech, get things going. You know, maybe it took a little bit longer than the Nets wanted, but you could feel it in that fourth quarter. And big credit to the lineup and big credit to Kyrie Irving. And I think you know, next up we should t- probably talk Blake Griffin, who I thought another, had another solid game. Jack. You probably know this. I think it was on the Zach Lowe podcast. They said something like Blake Griffin is plus 30 with the Nets or something. And now he's got another plus 23 to add to that tonight. Yeah, I also I put out a tweet the other day that the Nets with Blake Griffin on the floor have a hundred, 136 offensive rating. And I was just like, that can't be real. And look, it's true because Blake Griffin has been just such a seamless offensive fit. Yeah. And again, I do think a plus or at least a, a net positive uh, in terms of defensively too. You know, I like him next to Clax. That just combination, Grifton, uh, capital of Clax City, is just something that I goddamn love, Nick. And he's just continuing to end the three ball. It looks smooth, doesn't it, mate? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe not the mechanics, but just the overall like knocking it down. And I feel pretty confident when he has the wide open looks because it feels like he doesn't really take threes unless he's comfortable with the Nets. You know, in Detroit, he was having to force a lot of them. And I remember we talked about it when he first signed. His catch and shoot numbers were somewhere around 40%, which is not bad at all. And you're going to get plenty of wide open looks. And I feel like almost every single three, except maybe one that was the end of a shot clock, have been essentially wide open for Blake. Yeah, two or three from him there tonight, 11 points, four assists, six boards, two steals, a block, plus 23 on the night, as you alluded to. But he's just, whenever he's out there, and because he's going up against second units, Nick, Blake Griffin in his entire career hasn't really got up against second units. So he's just like, oh, I'm cooking against the Detroit Pistons and Houston Rockets second units. No disrespect to those teams, but Blake Griffin is a player that still has oozes amounts of talent and, and just he, he has talent coming out his wazoo and, and it doesn't necessarily matter if he's obviously lost the athleticism and lost a couple of things physica- physically and athletically wise he's still did gonna have a impact. putback dunk in this one jack did have that as well nick you know i'm sure plenty of fans aren't necessarily happy the nets are breaking the league with all of their goddamn signings they should be you know, disallowed change the goddamn buyout rules it's it's fun and look it's just as a general topic it kind of made me laugh, but it also kind of just was like, oh, man, i got to get off Twitter. And I normally love Twitter, just as a bit of like cesspool, a, a bit of back and forth or whatever. But I'm just like, it's so illogical, some of the goddamn garbage that was coming from some people. And I think it's just really funny that people are freaking out. The Nets are got Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. Meanwhile, the Lakers got Andre Drummond, who is in the prime of his career. Like... It's okay to be upset with uh, the Nets, but it's not okay to be upset with the Lakers. It's just a really interesting thing. And like Blake kind of said in his press conference either a day or two ago, saying like, you guys told me I sucked for the last few years, and now I'm here and it's unfair. It doesn't really make any sense. And it's also like these guys are not prime all-stars. Yeah, Blake has definitely shown more than what he was in Detroit, but some of that too is just playing with better players. Like he does not have to do as much. And I think he's benefiting from that because we're seeing him develop a nice chemistry with Kyrie Irving. He's also very comfortable handling the ball. So those dribble handoffs, those passes from the elbow, it's just easy for him because he's used to getting double teamed or triple teamed. And he's not really getting that type of treatment. Easy is the key point that you made it there, Nick. And easy basketball and just playing instinctual, natural basketball, which is what Blake Griffin is doing. He has uh, incredible intelligence on both ends of the floor. He's got a motivation and a desire to be here and to to play good basketball with the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, it seems to me that what LeBron James did in season past, Kevin Durant started to do and and, and get his mates over there and such as well. It seems to me that there's a a, a set of rules for for certain superstars and (laughs) a a set of rules for superstars that, you know, shouldn't be there. But in saying that, I'm just loving what Blake Griffin's doing and you know I've been wearing my Blake Griffin jerseys a couple more times especially to bed Nick it's a little bit warm here in Melbourne right now just got to get some tape Jack and put over the you know the Clippers of the LA and Ray Brooklyn you're good to go yeah yeah I'll I'll just color in that goddamn horrible logo it's not a good looking (laughs) logo the Brooklyn Nets one is a very good logo and it looked pretty good in the blue tonight the blue look awesome and it continues to look awesome even if uh, certain people out there aren't a biggest fan of it I goddamn love it yeah, I mean, I think that the the retro look just really hits. I mean, I think it's also something completely different than what the Nets typically have. But, Jack, quick question on Blake Griffin. What would you say in terms of, like, your expectations versus what we've actually seen from Blake Griffin on the court? Like, where does that stand for you? Yeah, I think that my expectations were, you know, relatively low but hopeful, Nick, overall. Yep. Because I've always been a Blake Griffin fan. You know, I've done plenty of outlets and JBTs, and you guys have sort of heard me give him some love. 
in, in different sort of realms. And I, I just love his personality as well. Similar guys that are like a sort of in early thirties, late twenties. I just always got a bit of love for and, and, and I've sort of grown up a bit with Blake Griffin within this league. You know, one of my best mates is a, is a big fan of the Clippers too. But in terms of that, Nick, he certainly exceeded them. You know, yeah. if you're watching what he's doing now and, and like, you know, the plus minus numbers are, are, are something, but you just watch what he's doing out on the floor. You just go by purely the eye test and you, you scrap the analytics because the analytics are pretty damn good too. Yep. And I think that's what a lot of people probably would have argued about. Is he going to be shooting that three ball? What's he going to be doing defensively? What's the defensive rating when he's out there? And all those things are, you know, a tick for him. But you just watch him play and it's just like, he still got it. Like he might not have the all NBA level, you know, third or third in MVP voting, that sort of level still in him. But he's still got incredible part. Like he's one of the Nets' best passes. Nick. Like that pass to Tyler Johnson the other night. Yeah, I'm watching it night after night after night. I'm going to continue watching because it it's just so damn pretty. He plays pretty basketball, but he also plays with a level of aggression that I think this team doesn't necessarily lack. But he does give us something there too. Yeah, I mean, he brings some physicality. Like, if you meet him in the paint, he's going to hit you with a forearm. You know what I mean? He's going to use his strength and his size, especially, like you said. He doesn't have the same athletic pop, but a lot of the other aspects of his game are perfectly fine. You know, even tonight he had that nice reverse layup on the end one. So he's killed my expectations. You know, I thought maybe he could give us this occasionally, but I think the consistency has been very impressive. And obviously it's only, I think, a six-game or five-game sample size right now. So we need to see it over the course of a month. But I think the Nets have been pretty smart with his minute allocation, you know, only playing around 20-something minutes, 25 minutes, and they rested him on that other night of the back-to-back. So it'll be interesting to see if he plays tomorrow. Yeah, I, I, look, obviously with James Harden injured as well, I don't expect him to necessarily play. But in saying that, Nick, we heard that the the hamstring tightness, that that'll be assessed tomorrow uh, in Charlotte. Please rest him. Do you agree that just give James Harden the night off, whether he is ready to go or not? Sometimes you've got to hold the man back. Yeah, I would rest him. You know, obviously, I don't think it's necessarily a giant game to win. It's not like it decides anything. And, you know, Harden, you sometimes have to protect from your, from himself. And also, there's just a ton of fatigue. And, you know, Steve Nash mentioned he was optimistic and they didn't think it was going to be a long-term injury. But play it safe because Kevin Durant could be here around the corner and then we're really going to get true scary hours. And if you can avoid a long injury for James Harden, instead maybe give him off the next couple games and it results in a few losses, who really cares? Yeah, let Kyrie cook a little bit. He's had yep. a bit of time off, you know, um, being a dad, having his birthday and such. And, you know, we know what he can do by himself when he's given the ball and, and, and the ability to just control the game. You know, we saw it tonight. And, and I think, you know, if you have Blake Griffin out there as well and maybe Landry Shaman comes back sooner rather than later, you know, it, it, it's nothing but good things for this Brooklyn Nets team right now. And I think that we're pretty confident despite the, the injury worries they aren't necessarily the biggest of worries because I think that, you know, in saying all that and, and sort of looking at from the big picture perspective, they all seem to be, you know, heading in the right direction, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the Nets haven't really, you know, fired the alarms. You know what I mean? It's kind of been a very optimistic approach based off either rumblings from other media members and stuff like that. And it's just kind of like, hey, let's be precautious. We only care about the postseason. And like you mentioned earlier, Jack, this team is cooking right now. You know, they're still winning games at an incredible pace. And, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, James Harden might be out, but we're still going to have Kyrie Irving and we're still going to have, you know, Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, and a ton of other guys in this team could possibly get us a win. That's what I'd be intrigued with for tomorrow, not to go on a tangent or anything. But just if Blake doesn't play, then that's going to be tough for the second unit. If he does play, he gives him such a nice little playmaking option like you talked about with his passing. Yeah, and look, I I think that 
it's obviously we, we know what the Nets medical staff is like. Their training staff is like incredibly conservative, and you know I'd probably be leaning. It's more likely that he probably won't play because yep. ultimately one game doesn't necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things when you want Blackman to be healthy come the pointy part of the season and contributing in a fashion that is similar to tonight, if not even greater, with a greater responsibility. If if it comes to to, to that uh, and the, the situation does arise, but I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm just. I think that there's a lot of possibilities that are just like, you know, okay, well, Kevin Durant still can come back. Landry Shaman can still come back. James Harden's a little bit injured, but it's almost good because he only played 27 well, minutes. Play. Marcus Aldridge probably could play as well. I don't think he missed a lot of game time, and I think his ramp-up period isn't necessarily going to be as long as Blake Griffin either. So it's just good to have those options and, and the depth in the rotation because, you know, there was a point in time where we are probably quite worried about that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even just the front court, there was very limited options. You know, Nick Claxton was injured. It was pretty much Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan playing center minutes. And then if you got in foul trouble, you were you had to play Reggie Perry. Now, you know, Reggie Perry doesn't have to even sniff the court. So the depth has really improved and guys have stepped up and, you know, accepted their roles. And I think that's exactly what you want for a championship team. Obviously, there's still some players who are underperforming. You know, a TLC, three points tonight, one of six on the field, one of five from three just has an occasional play in the game where it just is like, what are you doing? Uh, there was a play in this game where he drove and tried to throw a no-look pass over his head, and it just went straight to the Rockets, and it was a fast-break opportunity for them. Look, it's it's obvious, Nick. Once Kevin Durant comes back, we don't see TLC. I yep. think that's it's as simple as that. And you know, Bruce Brown takes his spot on the bench. You know, gives him gives you those 20, 25 minutes. You know, with the energy that he does provide, he's a uh, whatever, whether he's starting or whether he's coming off the bench, you know what you're getting from Bruce Brown. And uh, I did like the fact that he had six free throws tonight from him. But on TLC, Nick, it's I'm I'm not going to keep shitting on the dude. He he keep he, he a lot of it is warranted criticism. Um, I just think that ultimately it's not going to be something that we have to keep talking about because we know what he does and, and what he doesn't do. And I think that it'll come a point in time where it's just like 12 minutes tonight. Cool. John Jordan, 12 minutes tonight. Your two worst players and your two least performing out of form players are playing the least amount of minutes. Like it's not necessarily that you're going to get minutes from Reggie Perry or Chris Chioza, as you alluded to, but maybe throw some minutes uh, Alizé Johnson's way. You know, maybe he does deserve them because he gives you a sense of energy, defensive, uh, defensive prowess, athleticism, rebounding skills uh, that could be similar to like a, a forward version of Bruce Brown, maybe. Yeah, I mean, something to consider with TLC, but you've kind of alluded to this, Jack. You know, we have reinforcements coming. Kevin Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge and those two worst players are just going to get pushed straight up out of the rotation. Simple as that. And, and and there's still that one roster spot. And, you know, yep. there's there's still guys out there. A bit sad, my dude, Gorgie Jang is head to San Antonio. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Otto Porter rumors continue to pertain. And while he's not necessarily playing great basketball in Orlando, there could still be some guys out there that could be attained. You know, Austin Rivers uh, heading to Milwaukee, I think, is a nice signing. You know, I think we could see that some of these buyout dudes do make an impact. And we already, we've already seen it uh, with Blake Griffin. Hopefully, LaMarcus Aldridge can even give us half of what Blake's been given this next team. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, hopefully it can provide some depth there or push DeAndre Jordan a little bit farther or just kind of set things straight for Steve Nash. I guess the only two players we didn't touch on were Jeff Green and uh, Tyler Johnson, oh, also in Bruce Brown, and then we got to touch on James Harden to finish. But just on those guys, Jeff Green, pretty consistent game for him, nothing too crazy. Uh, Bruce Brown, you know, obviously struggles playing next to DeAndre Jordan. I thought his best minutes came when he wasn't next to DJ. And Tyler Johnson had one of his rougher offensive games tonight, and he caught a couple of just mean fouls that just are tough to take. He got he got called for a foul and got elbowed in the foul in the face in the same play. 
Yeah, I mean, he was tired from performing on SNL the other night. You know, he, yeah. he was staying up till late. It's like, what time do you have to be up uh, to perform uh, at, at, at Studio 8H? It's like midnight or 12.30 or whatever. In all seriousness, you know, I still, I'm still confident in what, in what yep. Tyler Johnson does give us as a rotation piece, to, a, a guard coming off the bench. You know, at, with that second unit and you put in Bruce Brown there and, and some of these other dudes, you know, he's just, uh, I have a level of confidence in him. Um, and, you know, with James Harden's injury, we could see some extended minutes from him because of the fact that we are going to need... Uh, a guy to handle a little bit, hit a shot, create his own shot a little bit, whether it's from the elbow or the three-point range or, or driving in and kicking out to some other guys. I'm pretty confident if Tyler Johnson has 25 minutes rather than 20 minutes. Yeah, I think he'll probably step up moving forward too. I think it was just kind of one of those off nights where his three-point shot wasn't on. And I think that he knew that and he kind of turned down a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities, but it's kind of to the point where you have to take them just so the defense respects you. Yeah, that's it. And James Harden, I guess, Jack, you know, obviously his game wasn't too bad tonight. 17 points, 5 of 10, 0 of 3 from deep, 7 of 7 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. Obviously suffered the hamstring injury in this one. Actually, just hamstring tightness. I don't even know if there's necessarily an injury there. Defense wasn't great in this one for him. He got cooked by Kevin Porter a couple times. But overall, like we mentioned before, hopefully get some rest because I think he is also still a little fatigued too. Yeah, I've heard some some people sort of say about the fact that Kevin Durant's injury has been a blessing in disguise. And and look, I'm going to look at it from a glass half full perspective in the fact that the, the James Harden hamstring tightness, again, well, hopefully it's nothing more than that and it doesn't get any worse um, uh, overnight. But in saying that, it provides an opportunity to Kyrie Irving to continue to strut his stuff, give Tyler yeah. Johnson some extra minutes, maybe give Bruce Brown a, a little extra responsibility here or there. I think that there's some positive things because in the absence of Kevin Durant, I don't think we would have seen Nicholas Claxton as much, Jeff Green obviously as much. Some of the, the, those Jeff Green extended minutes I think could have been uh, yep. given elsewhere. But I do think that there is a... You know, a growth mindset, you know, an opportunity sort of mindset, Nick, that I think is going to give this team, uh, hold this team in good step. You know, we've heard Kyrie Irving say time after time after time, and, and the same with um, James Harden, that it's a next man up mentality. We don't care who necessarily out there. We're a championship elite level team. We've all got to step up. It doesn't matter who's wearing the black and white or blue and white or blue, white and red. Yeah, I think like you said, Jack, this is an opportunity for guys to improve their game, get comfortable in their roles, and then they'll be playing in shorter spurts and have opportunities. Or they're also guys that you feel comfortable going to because you've seen them play 10 games instead of playing, you know, one game in blowout minutes or something like that. So I think, like you said, it can be a blessing in disguise. That's it. And and look, hopefully all of these things do come to fruition sooner rather than later. They're all good things in concept, but uh, the reality will hopefully be even greater. Yeah, 100%. Jack, anything else you want to touch on in regards to this game? Not necessarily this game, Nick, but I did want to touch on uh, some Spencer Dinwiddie and Kelly Oubre rumors. Ooh, okay, let's do it. So we did see Mark Stein confirm some reports that Spencer Dinwiddie was offered up by the Brooklyn Nets in a trade with Golden State for Kelly Oubre. Nick, when you heard this, were you surprised? What was your reaction? So this is actually kind of funny because I did a mock trade deadline uh, for OTG with the assistant GM podcast. And this is one of the trade offers I received. I ended up not taking and taking another trade that netted the Nets Garrett Temple and an unprotected first round pick, obviously, because the cupboard's pretty empty there. But the thing with Kelly Oubre, I mean, it makes sense for the Nets to make the trade because that's literally taking TLC minutes. You know what I mean? And this is a guy that can defend at a somewhat competent level. He does make some mental mistakes. His three-point shot is super inconsistent, but as a bench piece, you don't hate, and obviously he could impact this season. I think for Golden State, you know, the reason they probably don't take it is because they need a player to help them right now because Steph Curry's back is hurting. You know, it went all the way down to his tailbone. He had to miss a couple games. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point, Nick. And and uh, look, I think that it just it it makes sense much more for the Brooklyn Nets. And while I don't necessarily the, the personality and, and my co-host of JBT Nick Busing has alluded me to of this, while Kelly Oubre would certainly give the the Nets something uh, as a as a wing piece and almost like a, a facsimile of what the Nets do need as a as a perfect rotation guy to be able to play against the LeBron Jameses, the the Giannis's, the Chris Middletons, these sort of dudes. Uh, I also do think that you know Spencer Dimity hopefully does come back fit and firing and we could see him in the postseason he's leading the second unit and we don't even see Tyler Johnson out there or we might not see uh, some other guys in the rotation TLC whoever it is um, it, it's going to be interesting because he's continuing to post on Instagram he's continuing to show motivation he's continuing to like at OTG underscore Nick tweets as well <laughs> yeah I mean I'd be happy to see Spencer do when he play this season. It would just be, that's when the Nets would truly be unfair. You guys want to complain about LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. If the Nets were able to have their six-man-of-the-year candidate and Spencer do when he come back, a guy that's averaged 20 and 6 in a season is just a dynamic player and was really buying into being that kind of do-it-all player for the Nets in the first few games of the season, I would be ecstatic. Obviously, the real question mark for him is, will it impact him long-term with his injury? Is he rushing a little bit too much? We know the Nets are super conservative. And how much time would he have to shake that rust off? But there's still ample time for him to kind of get ready. You know what I mean? The first first thing is getting 100% healthy, and the next thing is getting yourself in NBA professional player shape. We'll have to wait and see, Nick. The scary hours are pretty scary right now. They might get scarier. They might become the scariest of hours. Yeah, I mean, that would be somewhat ridiculous. And, I mean, it'd be almost more tempting for Spencer Dinwiddie to stay if the Nets could, you know, put out some change and be like, hey, this is a dominant team and maybe there's a dynasty potential because Spencer Dinwiddie is a potential all-star player. You know, he's a fringe all-star who's had opportunities in the past to almost make the game. So, it's fun to still have Spencer here as well because he is one of kind of like the longtime Brooklyn Nets from the Sean Marks era. Yeah, him and Joe Harris. Yeah, it yep. certainly gives you a little bit of uh, the you know that the, the the ties to the the original you know the the foundation of this yep. roster, and it's uh, you know something. There's always going to be those emotional uh, ties as fans uh, from back in those days uh, as well. But it, it's interesting to see Nick, and, and we'll see how it all plays out. Hopefully, Spencer is firing, whether it's as a Brooklyn Net or another team, and hopefully the Brooklyn Nets uh, sort out their injury concerns as well. Jack, do you think we'll see a different starting lineup tomorrow? No, because uh, we haven't seen it. Oh, look, with James Harden, I mean, it was a trick question. <laughs> oh, okay, so like, look, uh, I, I initially thought you were meaning like the the DeAndre and Bruce Brown sort of thing. I would assume that Tyler Johnson comes in. I can't, or maybe Blake. I don't know. Maybe they go a little bit wacky with it, but yep. I would assume Tyler Johnson seems like the most ready to step up. Yeah, it'd be interesting, though, because I could see Steve Nash also wanting to keep Tyler Johnson as the bench because then he's like your backup point guard. You know what I mean? Because you don't necessarily have anybody else to run the offense. So maybe it's Jeff Green. You know, maybe it's a Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, um, Bruce Brown and DJ lineup, which does not have great spacing. I hope it's something a little bit different, but we'll see what happens tomorrow. Jack, anything else you want to touch on? Uh, in saying that, Nick, I think the best three-point shooter off the bench Probably is Jeff Green, so maybe that is the the best version of spacing that you can provide. And and look, I, whether it's Tyler Johnson, Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, whoever it might be, I do think that Nets still are going to be able to. As not one of Blake Griffin or Tyler Johnson is on the bench, both of those guys, I feel comfortable. And you would probably stagger Kyrie's minutes a little bit, so he's always out there. Um, and and you always have one of Tyler Johnson, Blake Griffin, or Kyrie Irving out there, because uh, I do think the Charlotte Hornets are going to be a pesky matchup, and um, it'll be fun to watch them and see uh, if the they live up to the hype, even in the absence of uh, their superstar rookie. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is a game, you know, that the Nets do not want to have the same start because Charlotte can put up points. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. They're not shy. They can light it up. So the Nets need to be locked in. Obviously, they beat them in the first matchup. And there's a ton of young guys in this team that are going to play with good energy. The Nets need to make sure they match that. But, Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch the buzz on all stream platforms. Number one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.